0: I want you, to, for just a few minutes here, to imagine a couple of scenarios with me. Put this here so I don't kick it over. All right, a couple of scenarios, imagine along with me. You've just pulled into your driveway after going to Walmart, and you have a 20-pound bag of dog food and like eight bags of groceries. And you think, you look at it and you think, I can totally get that in one trip. And you put that bag of dog food on one shoulder and you just line your arm with the grocery bags and you start booking it into the house. <clears throat> but by the time you hit the front door, you can, barely, you can barely take another step. Or guys, you finally decide you're gonna get rid of that heinous oversized leather couch that takes up three quarters of your living room to make room for some normal furniture. But And you look at that couch and you think, I should totally ask some friends to come help me. But I think I can get it out of the house by myself. So you just pick that thing up and sling it on your back. And the first couple of steps you're feeling pretty good, but you can barely take another step. When you get to the garage, you aren't sure if you're going to just unload that thing on top of your car. Or Parents. You got three little kids in the van with you and you pull up to your house and you look out and your, gro- your driveway and your yard is just a mass of mud and ice and yuck. And you know, if those three kids try to get in the house by themselves, you are going to have a mess on your hands. So you look at them and you just scoop them up in your arms and squish them together and make a beeline for the house, and they're screaming and yelling and saying, I can't breathe, and by the time you get to the front door, you just have to drop them (laughs) on the living room carpet. Imagine that for a minute. College students, you pull up to UNI or Warburg or Hawkeye after Christmas break, and you pull right into the service vehicles only parking spot. Because you have 27 hangers with freshly laundered clothes, a four-drawer plastic organizer, a laundry basket, and your backpack that you need to get up to the dorm. And you figure you can make it in one trip. And by the time you hit the top of the stairs to your dorm, you can barely even breathe, much less take another step. We all know what this feels like. And we all know what a relief it is to put down that heavy, cumbersome load but I want you to imagine for a moment that you carry that load forever as long as you live wherever you go and then imagine if somehow that heavy load is all intertwined in your faith and how well you carry it forever wherever you go is somehow related to how God sees you And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in the middle of a series called, Whoops, I'm a Pharisee. And we are going to be focusing on Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees. And we're calling it, Whoops, I'm a Pharisee, because, whoops, we're all Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were good people. And they had good intentions to honor God and to lead their communities to God. And they lived at a time in the world where there were a lot of pressures and politics and, uh, and, and the intensity was really high that they might lose what it means to be the people of God. But somewhere along the way, they took a really serious turn. And the Pharisees became legalists and excluders. They majored in the minors and they were all about external goodness. And they ended up walking around all hunched over, eyes on the ground because they were so afraid they would accidentally see something that would cause them to sin. Their lives were pressed down and heavy rather than free and fully alive. So to be a Pharisee was like carrying around a 40-pound bag of dog food on your shoulder everywhere you went. And the Pharisees, this is the really sad part, the Pharisees believed that God wanted them to carry that heavy load around with them. And they thought that if they carried it well, they would be counted as the truly faithful people of God because they measured their faith Their their faithfulness to God by how well they carried the burden. But this is what got them in trouble with Jesus. They weren't content just to measure their own faith, they began to measure the faith of others by how well they carried the burdens that they tied up and put on the backs of others. Because Pharisees, they couldn't stand to see someone living with freedom and joy. They thought, why should they be enjoying life if I'm carrying around this heavy burden everywhere I go? Why do they have peace on their face when day after day I'm just plodding along? If I have to carry this heavy load around, then they should too. And this attitude brought them face to face with Jesus. We're gonna pick it up in Matthew 23. Jesus is issuing a warning to anyone who is listening do not go the way of the Pharisee. And he offers that same warning to us. So here's Matthew 23, one through four. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you to do. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy Cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I think of Matthew 23 as a Jesus version of ESPN's Come On Man segment. They play this before Monday night football, and um, they just say, "Come on, man!" Whenever there's like a, a bad call or a, a bad play, it's like Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, "Come on, man! You tie up heavy burdens and put them on other people's shoulders. Come on, man! You keep people out of the kingdom. Come on, man! You guys are like a brood of vipers. Come on, man! Everything you do is for show." And Jesus warns his listeners not to be like the Pharisees. So you might be thinking to yourself, why would I want to be a Pharisee? I'm not going to be a Pharisee. I don't need a warning to not be like them. But we have to remember that Pharisees are alive and well today, and you're probably sitting next to one, and you're definitely listening to one right now. Whoops, I'm a Pharisee, and so are you. So how can we avoid falling into some of these same traps how did they tie up heavy cumbersome loads for other people to carry? So this morning, we're just gonna focus on a little bit, little portion of uh, what the Pharisees were like, and we're gonna gonna focus on their legalism. The Pharisees were legalists, and legalists measure their right standing with God by how well they keep the law of God. So if they think that if they wanna know that they're right with God, then if they keep the law really well, then that must mean they're good with God. And then they also judge other people and how well they keep the law as well. And then the thing we have to remember is that legalism is just in conflict with the heart of God. So in the very first book of the Bible, we find the story of Abraham. And this is way before the 10 Commandments. It's way before the law is given. And we learn that Abraham is made right with God, not based on what he does, but based on his faithfulness, that based on the fact that Abraham trusts God. Abraham wasn't even really that great at doing the right thing, especially when life got tricky. But the Bible says that Abraham was, was considered righteous because he trusted God. It was Abraham's faith, his trust in God that made him right with God. So legalists think they earn God's favor not by trusting him, but by obeying the law. The more law they obey, the more favor they have with God, the more God loves and accepts them. And the danger is this. Over time, obedience to the law actually becomes their faith. Keeping the law becomes their faith and if you think about it for a one take it out one more step then really their faith is in themselves they have faith in what they do to make them right with God rather than what Doug was talking about earlier during the baptism for what Jesus has done on the cross so you might be thinking sorry if faith or trusting God is what makes us right with God, then why did we need any commands or laws anyway? Why did God give commands or laws? And I think it's really helpful to go way back to the very, very beginning. In the beginning, God created the world and everything in it, including men and women, and he put them in a garden, and it was paradise. And then God said to them, I made this all because I love you and I want you to have a beautiful place to live. I want you to be creative and tend to the garden. I want you to enjoy each other. And that was his command. And he had one more caveat. He said, I want you to enjoy the fruit of every plant and every tree in the garden. Look out at the garden. It's all yours to enjoy. But this one tree over here, I don't want you to eat the fruit from this one tree. Because when you do, you are replacing me, your creator. You are trying to be God by eating the the fruit of that one tree. And then we bought the lie, because more than anything else, we want to be like God. It turns out that we have a hard time living in paradise. So just like that first law, enjoy the garden, enjoy each other. All of God's laws are meant to do two things. They're meant to help human beings flourish, and they're meant to help us remember that God is God, and we are not. He makes the rules. We don't. It's simple. The law was good, and it is good, but it was never meant to be the point of our relationship with God, our life with God. And the Pharisees, and sometimes us, we make it the point. We make the law of God the point. And this is where the Pharisees go fatally wrong. And this is why Jesus is so mad at them. So we're gonna look at a couple of ways that the Pharisees did this. The first one is they, they were legalists and they added, to the, they added human rules to God's commands. So last Sunday, I think Alice talked about a Pharisee who fasted like a hundred times more than God commanded him to fast, hundred times more. And then next week, Dave will be here and he's gonna examine a Pharisee who actually picked every plant in his garden and took time to separate a tenth of like his mint and his cumin and his cardamom to give back to God when God only asked him to tithe a few things from his, a few of his crops, And there are a hundred other examples of how the Pharisees added on to God's commands. So we're just going to think for a minute, why did they do this? Why did they add man-made rules to God's commands? And I think it's because they loved God. And they loved the law. And they wanted to obey it perfectly. And in in an effort to follow the law perfectly, they just created a whole bunch of man-made laws. They kind of built a fence around the law of God, it it became, so if you had the law of God, they built a fence and then there was this buffer zone between God's law and these man-made laws. So if you are just walking along and you trip over the fence, over the buffer zone, you're not gonna violate the law of God. And they actually brought all of these man-made laws together in a book called the Mishnah. And so that's all fine until they elevated the man-made law, the Mishnah, to the, same, to the same place as God's law. And that became a problem, as if God didn't have things adequately covered. And this should sound familiar to us, this building of a fence around God's law, making a buffer zone between God's law. Think about this, God prohibits drunkenness. But we put a fence around it to the point where we judge people who enjoy a beer with their friends or who like a glass of wine with dinner. One time I was sharing a meal. This is ridiculous. I was sharing a meal with some friends, and we were being videoed for a like a promo video here at, to be shown here at church, and we actually hid our wine glasses in a cupboard. It was at Chuck Shirey's house, so you can blame him. Um, <laughs> but we hid our wine glasses in a cupboard, because we were, we're legalists and maybe because we were afraid of being judged by legalists. Hiding our wine in a cupboard so we could, like, pretend that we only drink water. Oy. <laughs> or think about this one for a minute. God's law prohibits sexual immorality. And Christians have built all kinds of fences around this good law. There was a movement um, maybe 10, 15 years ago called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. The man-made law was that you probably shouldn't even date until you meet somebody that you should marry. Or there's a kind of a movement right now that maybe it's extra special and God will like you even more if you don't kiss until your wedding day. Or there are people who believe that you should never even be alone in the same room with your boyfriend or your girlfriend while you're dating. Okay, maybe this one fits you better. Um, God commands us not to put any gods before him. That's, a, that's one of God's commandments. And we all know that our stuff can easily come before God, the things that we have in our life. So maybe we'll just put a fence around that law and radically simplify our lives, right? Get rid of almost everything. Now there is nothing wrong with putting boundaries in your life for deciding for yourself where you will add some boundaries to God's law. Boundaries are often very wise it may be wise to put some reasonable boundaries around your dating. There is nothing wrong with you putting boundaries around what you eat or how you take care of your body. There is nothing wrong with you getting rid of everything but three forks and wearing the same outfit every day if it will help you in your relationship with God and others. The problem occurs when we start to measure our faith by how well we keep these man-made boundaries. If you begin to think, I'm a super special person of God because I respect this buffer zone between God's law. And even worse, when you start to judge another person's faith based on these man-made extra laws. Because we almost always start judging and applying the extra rules to those around us. Oops, I'm a legalist. So legalists add to the law of God, but they do another really interesting thing too. Legalists measure the what and the how of keeping God's commandments, ignoring the why. We're gonna look at this in Exodus 20 if you have your Bible and you wanna turn it, otherwise it'll be on the screen. So God gave the Ten Commandments to a group of refugees, former slaves huddled together in a desert. And he gave the Ten Commandments because they needed to learn how to live together and how to flourish and how to understand that God was their God and they were his people. Many of these commandments were simple, like don't steal and don't lie. But the Fifth Commandment came with a little more explanation and that's what we're going to look at. So this is Exodus 20, verses eight through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you or your son or your daughter or your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the legalists elevate the what and the how of this command, and they ignore the why. So we're gonna look really quickly at the what, the how, and the why of the fifth commandment. So the what is simple. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. How? Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. And not do any work. Now notice who God includes in the how. He says a day of rest is not just for the most important, powerful people in your household or in your city. It's for everyone, the servants and the animals. If you want the good life, watch how you treat other people. Watch how you treat people on the margins. So why? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day why keep the sabbath because god did he built a rhythm of work and rest into the fabric of creation and god is god and you are not so if god says build rhythm of work and and rest into your life then we should do it so that we can flourish and the people around us can flourish And then the question for the Jews and the Pharisees and for people all throughout the age is do you trust God enough to obey? So this may be unsettling for some of you, and that's okay, but the Sabbath doesn't have to be on Sunday. As it was originally given, it wasn't on Sunday. Sunday is a part of the what and the how of the law. The why of this command is what keeps us from running ourselves and the people around us into the ground. The keeping of the Sabbath, the why, ties us to the heart of God, and it protects the weak and the vulnerable among us. Remember God's first command in the garden? It's echoed here in this commandment. God's command is be creative, work hard, celebrate what you've done, and then rest. That's really it. That's the bulk of the command. Why can't we just let such a simple command stand? And I think it's because it's so much easier for us to measure our faith on the what and the how rather than on the why. It's just easier to measure the what and the how so we fast forward several hundred years and the pharisees have diminished the why of this particular law of keeping the sabbath holy and they have they have just elevated the what and the how like crazy listen to some of this now remember the pharisees loved god's law and they wanted to keep it perfectly in an attempt to do this they created 39 separate categories to define what work means remember don't do any work on the seventh day They made 39 categories, and then they made a whole bunch of subcategories. And two of the subcategories were a prohibition against lifting and carrying things on the Sabbath. So if you're going to get rid of that leather couch, don't do it today. (laughs) Now, they detailed this what part of the law so thoroughly that they actually had arguments around this lifting and carrying thing. So one of the arguments was, can a mother lift her child on the Sabbath? Or can a man with a wooden leg use it on the Sabbath because that actually means he's carrying something? I'm not making this stuff up, it's real. There was even a rule about how heavy your spoon could be. It couldn't, be, it couldn't weigh any more than a single fig, which I think gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, my spoon is too big. And this is a reference to a classic YouTube video that you should watch today. It's not against uh, God's law to watch it. And it'll make you really cool, like if you're a grandparent and you want your grandchild to help you find this YouTube video, it's a pretty good one. Um, It is against God's law, however, to look it up on your phone right now. (laughs) I actually made that up, but don't, don't do it. So for a Pharisee, it ended up for a Pharisee to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, he had to follow thousands and know and understand thousands of sub including how many steps you could take, how many letters you could write, how much milk you could get from your goat. The Pharisees worked so hard at the what and the how. They needed a Sabbath from keeping the Sabbath. And Jesus says, come on, man. You tie up heavy loads and place them on other people's shoulders. You're missing the point. You keep missing the why. The why of the law law is to teach people how to live the good life with God and how to flourish with each other. Following the why of the law is practicing to trust God. That's how we measure our faith is, do I trust God more than I did yesterday? Not am I doing more than I did yesterday? And we still have these subcategories of what it means to keep the Sabbath holy, to keep Sunday holy. Too much of our following of Jesus is tied up in these what and hows of our life with God. And I know this because some of you have told me about your communities, where people build a garage and then they place a drain in the garage so they can wash their car on Sunday without being caught by the Sabbath patrol. Or they drive to another town so they can do their shopping and go out to eat or wash their car. And for the last couple of weeks, I have sat in a group and listened to a young mom who is in a Sabbath war with her dad. She has to work on Sundays. It's the only way she can figure out right now how to provide for her family. And her dad, he just can't get past it, and it's killing their relationship. So the examples of how many steps you can take and how much milk you can get from your goat and what you can pick up and how, set, how heavy your spoon can be, th- those are kind of funny examples. But legalism, focusing on the what and the how of God's law and adding to God's law, while avoiding the why, it just really has a darker side to it. And that darker side is that we could just miss everything, we could miss the whole point. And this is what the legalists did, this is what the Pharisees did. They loved the law more than the lawgiver, and therefore they missed the point why do you think Jesus is coming so hard at the Pharisees in Matthew 23? And I encourage you to read the entire, um, entire chapter of tw- Matthew 23 after the service. Jesus doesn't come this hard at any other group of people in the Bible. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, talk to people caught in the act of adultery this way. He doesn't talk to prostitutes this way. He doesn't talk to people who are cheating their neighbors out of their money at the tax booth this way? Why is Jesus talking to the Pharisees this way? And it's because they're trying to measure their faith based on how they keep the law and how other people keep the law. And Jesus was really clear on how we should measure our faith. It's, it's all over the pages of the Bible. And he, and he reminds us, you mostly should measure your own faith not the faith of the people around you. And he clarified his greatest commandment in Matthew 22. Uh, Matthew 22, 34 through 40, and this is what it says. The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets, all the categories and subcategories, all the do's and the don'ts hang on love. It's almost like he's saying, the rest of the law has no place to anchor if there is no love. You can be the best rule follower, tither, defender of the Bible, defender of the faith, defender of, the mor- of morality, but if you don't have love, you are nothing but a blaring siren. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. You can't use those things to measure your faith or the faith of those around you. And this is the problem Jesus has with the Pharisees. They're all about the law, but in no way about love. They aren't willing to lift a finger to move the heavy load that Jesus moved out of the way when he went to the cross. And this isn't just a bit off the mark. It's not just five degrees wrong. It's a fatal error. And we're at the risk of making the same fatal error every day. If our obedience to the law is over top of our love, our deep love for God, and our radical love for the people around us. And if we do this, we're just gonna end up carrying a heavy, cumbersome load around everywhere we go. And we're gonna teach other people to do the same thing. And then we are going to think that we're really great Christians. And we're leading a radical life for Jesus, but we will have missed the point. So I don't want to do that, and I don't think you do either. So listen to the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Jesus met all the demands of the law. He carried them on his shoulders and he releases you from them. And guys, this is the good news of the gospel. This is why we come here every Sunday morning to remember what Jesus has done for us. We're free from the burden. But let's not use our freedom... Then to serve ourselves. Let's remember that greatest command. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and figure out what it looks like to love the people around you. That is a faith I can give my life to, and I think you can too. So let's pray, and we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, uh, you created us in your image, And we confess right now that sometimes we take the image that you made us in and we want to use it to take your place. We want to be God. And we just confess that right now and we ask you, Jesus, if you would teach us how to live lives where we can just flourish and where we can remember every single day that you take the spot of glory, that you alone are holy, that you alone are the inviter, the forgiver, the renewer, and the restorer. Thank you that you've taken that load off our shoulders. Now will you teach us how to love? In Jesus' name, amen.